Uh, I'm just going to get myself set up. It's a lovely day today, nice and rainy, and uh, my shoes actually aren't at all waterproof. I'm just sharing this with you for fun, really. Uh, My shoes aren't waterproof, and I have one set of waterproof shoes, um, but they attach themselves to each other. And so I was pretty certain that if I wore those, at some point my shoes would attach themselves to each other and I'd fall over. So uh, I have wet feet today, but I'm I'm thinking that it's going to be all right because hopefully I'll stay on my feet for the whole time. Um, But I'm the kind of person that embarrasses themselves a lot. Um, Russell Brand had a quote, and uh, his quote was, my life is full of embarrassing incidents, strung together by telling other people about those embarrassing incidents. And that's kind of the place that I'm coming from this morning to share with you. Um, I think God put me in youth work for a reason. Um, I I'm someone who will never be able to take themselves too seriously, really. Uh, last weekend, I was on a youth weekend, and I spent a good part of Saturday on my hands and knees in a mud pit, covered in coke, and had Haribo stuck to my face with teenager saliva. It was great. So this, this is kind of who I am. Uh, <laughs> I'm sharing with you this morning from, from that place, which, which will be brilliant. Uh, the, the, probably the most embarrassing thing I've ever had to do um, as a youth worker, happened actually when I was in Oxford, and uh, I was volunteering as a youth worker. And we decided we think you think of things as a youth worker, and then you realise why did I ever think of that? And we thought it would be a great idea to have the young people in the youth group set challenges for the youth leaders that we do during the week, and then they'd film these challenges and then show them again at the, the next youth group. Um, the one that. I got was to get on a public bus in Oxford, I think it was the number eight, which ran right through the middle, very, very busy bus, and my young people wanted me to get up and give a kind of a Guide Friday tour. So I I had to get on this bus, and I was petrified, I was shaking, I was so nervous, and uh, I was there with a microphone, which wasn't plugged into anything, just to make me look a little bit more stupid, and uh, I had to get up on this bus, stand right at the front, and go... uh, Good afternoon, I'd like to welcome you to this tour of Oxford City Centre. And you can imagine, this bus was packed full of people. And I was, I was heckled by a senior citizen telling me how stupid students were at the time I was a student. So uh, it, it, was, it was a nightmare. I, I kind of live a life that is often ridiculous. Um, but the good thing about that is that you can use it in talks as illustrations. You can kind of pull any point out desperately to try and make it link to something about God. And uh, that one, I, I managed it, actually. I did well. Uh, a few months later, I used that story. Um, it, was, it was around the idea of life being a journey. So it was really interesting for me uh, that Lee just sort of read that scripture out. And uh, it was the idea that in life, we set to journey with a certain group of people that we journey with a community, and often we'll travel down the same roads, we'll pass the same things. We've all got our own individual destination, but we're called to journey with a group. But I believed as a Christian that we're called a little bit more than to journey. For me, to stand up on that bus in front of everyone was absolutely... Honestly, I've never been so scared in my life. But God calls us to stand up out of that community of people that we're journeying with and to be a signpost for other people, to point things out, to say, do you know what, God's doing this. You see that there, God's in that, God's moving there. And a little bit of what I want to explore this morning is what sort of signpost are we? What signs have we got on our life, and what does that tell other people about God? So uh, I'd like to start off uh, by turning to John chapter 4. 
um, and it's verses 4 to 14. And it says this. Now he, which is Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with in the well's deep. Where would you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of life, um, a spring of water welling up, sorry, into eternal life. This is an incredible interaction. Um, I think part of the reason uh, it's incredible is that this woman sees God face to face. You see, what happens is she goes on uh, to say, I'd love some of that water, that sounds great. And, uh, and Jesus says, well, great, get your husband, let's do this. And she says, uh, um, I'm not married. And he said, no, I know, you've had five husbands and you're not married to the guy you're living with now. The only conclusion she can draw from this is that he's a prophet. But Jesus says something profound about connecting with God and about worship. And this woman says, yeah, there's a Messiah coming and he's going to explain all of that. And Jesus says to her, I am he. That's me. And she has this realization that she, someone who in society's eyes totally didn't deserve it, is having this face-to-face encounter with God. Now, the reason that part of this uh, is so incredible is that she would have worn a sign. Now, this is a particularly large sign. Here we go. Okay. She would have worn a sign for most of her life which said divorce. Um, I'm sure many of you have heard this story told many, many times. And often people who, um, who look at this story, some of them, they think that the reason that she went to get well, um, to the well at the sixth hour um, was because it was the hottest time of the day. No one else would have been there. No one wanted to associate with her. She was sort of a social outcast because of this sign that she wore throughout her life that said divorce. Now, uh, divorce was a funny thing then. Um, You see, it was quite easy to get divorced, actually. Uh, And if you were divorced, then you'd either have to be really fortunate and find another husband, move back in with your mum and dad and... uh, they support you for the rest of their lives, or the other option was to become a prostitute, and hopefully you could support yourself. But I found out recently reading a book, which I like doing, uh, that the reason that so many people got divorced, that the divorce was so easy to come by. I, uh, I read this, this book, and it said in there, and, and to be honest, I'm very grateful that this is no longer the case, um, that even if a husband, a guy, was dissatisfied with the way his wife cooked his meal, he had every right to divorce her. Now, I'm looking at some guys' faces right now, you can't see them, but they like that idea, I think. Um, I, for one, am grateful that is not the case with my cooking record. Uh, But it was a really easy thing. It it just happened. There were no real rights for that. 
And for her, this would have been a huge sign to carry around. But for Jesus, he noted it. He said, yeah, I know this about you. He identified it, but it wasn't what he he spent time talking about. It wasn't what he dwelled on. The thing that they talked about was this whole thing of living water. Now, this idea of living water in this well was really, really interesting. You see, uh, there were two kinds of well that were around at the time. One kind of well was a well which was dug, and then when the rains came, when it rained, the rain water filled up this well, and then you would go and you'd get your water from it. And, and there was, but there were some problems with that because when it didn't rain very often, the water would run out. But also the water was stagnant in the bottom of the well. So if things, animals, stuff fell in, you'd also get that. There'd be like that green sludge over the top that no one really enjoys in a glass of water. Um, and so. There were, there were problems with this kind of well. There was a second sort of well, though, and the second sort of well offered something called living water. Now, that was the kind of well where you dug down and you found a spring in the, in the ground, underground. So the water was always fresh. It flowed underneath. It was fresh all the time, and it would have been cool, and it would have taken a severe drought to dry that up. And so that's why there seems to be some misunderstanding around what Jesus says about living water, because to her it meant something very different. But Jesus offers her this living water, a water that will never run dry, a water that will not be stagnant. She has this face-to-face encounter with God, and somehow this label that she's lived with, it's not important anymore. Somehow the living water that he talks about takes complete priority over the fact that she has been wearing this label as her identity for years and years. So, I'm going to take a look at the idea of the well. Now, it says in the verse that um, the well was created and built by Jacob. Now, some people are a little unsure uh, about where exactly the well was kind of put together and built and put down. Um, But quite a lot of people think that it was just after um, Genesis 32, where he had this encounter with God. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know much about Jacob, Jacob in itself, his name means deceiver. So uh, he would have had this sign around his life that would have said he was a fraud, a fake. He deceived people. It's what he did. And to be honest, it wasn't too far from the truth. Um, He was born, like most of us, and uh, he and his brother had this, like, sibling rivalry to the max. Uh, he He came out of the womb clinging on to his brother's ankle. It's almost like for his whole life, he was trying to be something he wasn't. For his whole life, he was trying to be what his brother was naturally. And so they got a bit older and uh, there was the incident with the stew where uh, he um, convinced his brother to sell him his birthright um, for a bowl of stew. And so he got the birthright of his brother. You can imagine this caused some family tension. Uh, So they didn't get on too well after that. Um, It went on as they grew up. His father uh, came to time father to die. And Jacob dressed up as his brother Esau, who was very hairy, apparently. And uh, he put on lots and lots of goat's hair, went along, and got this blessing from his father that should have been for his brother. If you were his brother, you would have been so annoyed. So at this point, that's kind of it for their relationship. That's sort of the end of the road. And uh, Jacob kind of goes his own way. He meets this girl who he really fancies. He really wants to marry her. And he has some problems with his new father-in-law to be. Um, He isn't necessarily treated brilliantly by him. Uh, And again, this sign comes out. 
He tricks his way into getting the girl that he wants. He deceives his father-in-law. Again, he, he kind of has this thing over his life where he's a fraud. He's trying to be somebody else. He's trying to be someone who he's not. And he will, he will deceive and he will play to, to whatever ends he needs to, to get what he wants. And uh, it all comes to a head and, and time passes. And all of a sudden, in Genesis, you're at this incredible point. It's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, where Jacob and Esau are about to be reunited. So Jacob is on edge here. He's nervous. He doesn't know how he's going to get received. The last time they were together, things didn't go too well. So in Genesis 32, if you could turn there with me, um, yeah, my sign, uh, we get to a point where Jacob is nervous. It's the night before they meet. And we read in Genesis 32, verses 22 to 32. And it's entitled, Jacob Wrestles with God. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of Jabok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. In the Old Testament, what I love about it most of all is that they will drop things like that in, like it's totally normal. This guy turns up. I don't know if you've watched WWE wrestling, anyone's into that, but it's, it's a pretty big deal. So this guy just turns up and they have a little wrestle. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched. And as he wrestled with this man, then the man, um, the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man answered him, what is your name? Jacob, he replied. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. There's this guy. And all his life, he had worn a label. He had lived with a sign around his neck saying, I'm a deceiver. I deceive people, I'm a fraud, I'm a fake, it's what I do. Then he has this incredible, and in his own words, face-to-face encounter with God. And his identity is changed. His name is no longer Jacob, it's no longer deceiver, fraud, fake. His name is Israel, which goes on, as I'm sure you're aware, to be hugely significant throughout the Bible. But all of a sudden, rather than being a fraud and a fake... He's known as a man who wrestles with God. There's something about this encounter with God, this face-to-face, intimate, incredible encounter with God where people's identities are changed, where labels that they've worn for their whole life, all of a sudden, they're irrelevant compared to who they are in the eyes of God. These stories are amazing. A woman who has lived with divorce around her neck all her life. A guy who whenever anyone meets him and he says his name, they know right away what people think of him. These people meet with God face to face and they are changed. 
But the, the really beautiful thing about this is it isn't that they have a personality transplant. It's not that all of a sudden someone who's a little bit grumpy most of the time becomes incredibly charming. As nice as that would be, I'm sure all of you can think of someone who that would be just ideal for. It's not that that happens. It's something about their relationship with God that makes things different. It's incredible. And uh, the thing that really, really inspires me about this is that I think this primary identity, this primary encounter, does something to the core of their being. And I really believe with my whole heart that all of us, one way or another, could do with that face-to-face encounter with God. This, um, this drinking, this experience of living water that makes things change so dramatically that these labels are not who we are. And I believe that we all do carry labels. Um, as Leon said, I've been here uh, working since September, and before then I was in London. And uh, it was a really interesting time for me being in London, if, if I'm honest. Like, I had the best time. It was amazing. But God, really, this whole area of what the labels that I carried around my own neck, the things that I identified with myself, where my own identity was, the things that God did in that was absolutely huge. Um, I went to university in Oxford, not at Oxford, just in Oxford. Uh, I don't want you to you know, start thinking I'm really clever or anything. Um, and while I was there, I had this real sense, of all, all through my life I think, I've had incredible people to invest in me. Really, God's put some amazing people around me. And um, I really believe that I knew what my calling was. I knew where God wanted me to be. I knew the skills that he'd given me, and I thought, this is where, what God wants me to do in my life. This is how my life should be with God. And I knew it, and I loved it. And uh, I spent a lot of time in uni uh, thinking about that, really. And I think uh, uni is kind of this big preparatory time, and you, you spend a lot of time kind of thinking about what you're going to do when you leave. And I almost saw this as um, my springboard, this was kind of when I leave uni things really begin and my calling kicks in and it's going to be amazing because this is where I know God wants me to be and uh, as it came to the end of uni I started to think about this a little bit more and started really to pray into it and when it came to actually leaving uni I had three options Uh, one was to go and work abroad for a little while in a church and that excited me I thought yeah that fits into the kind of place I think God would want me to be That's nice. I could do abroad. And uh, then the the other one was a job, which actually is the job that Andy's doing now, which is uh, funny how God does things. But um, I thought that that was bang on where God wanted me to be. I thought, yeah, that sounds like me as well. I'm just so gifted. And uh, then it came to like the third option. And I don't know how many people, um, phrasing this differently, I love my mum so much. And uh, she is someone who has always really invested in me and uh, has always like, really pushed me and inspired me. And my third option was an advert that my mum had found and I knew she wanted me to go for. And so uh, I, uh, I went for it because my mum had told me to, pretty much. And I thought, well, you know, it's going to be a good experience. And this was the job in London. And uh, I went along and thought, well, if nothing else... It is good experience, and I'll get used to interviews and that sort of thing. So I travelled down to London, and on the train, I was reading my Bible, and I had this incredible 
um, a really intimate experience with God. Just, I really heard him speak to me. And he said, Laura, if you get this job, you have to take it. And I was like, oh, flipping it, pressure. So I went into this interview thinking, this isn't where I saw God putting me. But now God said, if I get this, I have to take it. What am I supposed to do with that? So I'm sitting in this interview at absolutely nervous out my skin because I know that if I don't get it that's one thing if I do get it I'm stuck with it and so uh, I went and did this this interview and I was the least qualified person um I had no real relevant experience but apparently they hired me they felt that God had really said to them that I was the right person to do this job and for me that was huge. Like They said, oh yeah, three people in our church have said, you're the person. They've not met you, but they've, they've come to me and God's spoken to them. And I was like, well, there's no getting out of this one, is there? This is, this is what I'm going with. So uh, I had this huge, something I've been certain of my whole life. All of a sudden, I'm calling it into question. I was like, God, I never saw you wanting me in that situation. This wasn't what my life was supposed to be. This wasn't how things were supposed to work out. And I loved that job, and I took it, and it was great, and the young people in that church blew me away. Honestly, they were brilliant. And um, it was hard, actually, because for the first nine months, at least, of my job, I really understood Jacob's wrestle with God. I really had to wrestle with my calling, saying, God, I didn't think that this was what what I was supposed to be doing. I didn't think that this was where you wanted me. This, you never said anything to me about this when I signed up. And for me, wrestling with this through that time was so hard because I hadn't realized how much of my identity I put in what I thought God thought I should be doing. And so for me, that was a huge journey. And uh, the longer I spent thinking about that and praying about it, and to be honest, finding it really, really difficult, the more that I realized that God wasn't so much interested in my calling as much as he was interested in my obedience to him. And uh, it was a really hard time. Uh, Like I say, I loved bits of it, but some bits of it were so, so difficult. The other thing when I was in London that I found really hard, really, really hard, was loneliness. Um... The job I had, had very unsociable hours. I worked loads and loads of evenings. And uh, there weren't that many people who were my age in the church either. So it was kind of difficult to make friends. Because all the people who I really, really liked, their children were in my youth group. And so it was a bit like, we can't be too good friends with you because your children are kind of confiding in us. And I totally got that. I totally understood it. And the, the young adults that were in the church were sort of like, you're on the staff leadership team, as if we're going to invite you out with us. All the stories that get back. So it was a really, really difficult time. Um, (laughs) I know I just don't have friends. That's not true. Um, But I was there, and I just found it so difficult. And, you know, the more I became aware of this label that I had over my life, the more I struggled with it. Because it was almost like once I'd recognized that label, I almost took a little roll around in self-pity. And... uh, And just was there feeling so alone. And God was great. Like during that time I met my husband. It was amazing. He's amazing. But without him at that time, I do not know who I would have really been close to. And you know, this was never anything that was really resolved. And I think sometimes the labels that we hold over our lives, the things, the experiences that we've been through, the stuff we have to deal with, there's not always a resolution to it. Sometimes we live with it. And the seasons change. 
and things move on. But I would say that this one certainly wasn't a label I ever really got over. And I think some labels that we wear, even now, that's something that I'm very aware has left scars and marks. Um, and I think some of the experiences we go through and some of the things we have to deal with, they can be over in a season, but also the consequences of those labels can last a while. And they hurt. And so I do believe that we all have labels, but I think sometimes it can take a fair bit to recognise what those labels are. And to be honest enough with ourselves to say, do you know what? I've really struggled with that. That's really been a difficulty for me. When people look at me, I believe this is what they see. And so I've made you a label. A little blank one, just for you. And uh, looking at this, I just think, what would you put on here? If you were challenged and said, do you know what? What do you think that God um, wants to to relieve you of? What label that you have carried with you over time do you believe God wants you to relieve you of? It might be disappointment. It might be an affair. It might be um, alcohol abuse. It could be unemployment. It could be anything. It could be your own success. But what would you put up there? What's the thing where you feel actually you might need to have this face-to-face encounter with God, that your identity is not in this, but in him. This is a lot of the kind of stuff I believe that is on the Freedom in Christ course. What is it that you need to see God first rather than these things? I think these labels can really be very difficult to shift. But I do believe that when we have an intimate face-to-face encounter with God, things change. Our identity isn't in this anymore, but it's in who we are in God. And I think when we're operating out of of this, out of a label maybe that we've held over our own life, we can kind of be like that first well that I described. Things can be a little bit stagnant. Things can, the water can sort of dry up very quickly. When you get to a point of trouble or um, you've just been kind of coasting for a little while, things dry up. And that can be a real, real clear sign that maybe these labels are the first point of identity rather than this incredible face-to-face encounter with God. And the amazing thing is, oh, I got so excited then, I, I made a noise in the microphone. The amazing thing is that when we see these as a label rather than who we are, when we have this, this face-to-face encounter with God, we understand that God looks at us and sees Jesus. He sees perfection. He sees that whatever you've been through, you're adored. Whatever baggage you carry, you're perfect. You're accepted and loved, even if you are completely bang in the middle of some really difficult and dark stuff. Stuff that you're ashamed of. God looks at you and adores you. When we begin to understand that, It brings freedom because this isn't who we are. This is just a journey that we've been through. When we free our identity from this stuff, it actually brings this incredible freedom to be honest with each other and go, do you know what, I'm really struggling with this or this happened to me because we don't look at you and go, oh, so that's what you're like then. It's not that, it's just your journey. Who you are is in Jesus. Um... Just as, as a final point, really, I've got people in my life that will have really honest conversations with me, like painfully honest conversations with me. And again, 
It's my mum. And uh, I remember when I was a teenager, like late teens, she sat down with me for one of those talks. And uh, we had this little talk, and she sat down and was like, Laura, there's something you need to know. I was like, all right, okay. Sounds painful. Uh, And she said, the thing you need to know is that you need to be a bit more vulnerable. Oh, right. Wasn't really what I was expecting to hear. This conversation sort of hit me out of the blue. She said, the thing is, that you're never really honest with people. You always pretend that you're absolutely fine. And for me, this had been brilliant. This sign, for me, I thought had worked fantastically. Because I thought, if I appear fine, if I appear that everything's okay, and I act as if I'm a very stable sort of person, then uh, people will think that I'm the kind of person who you should come to when things go wrong, because I've got everything sorted. And I remember so clear my mum coming to me and saying, do you know what, actually, it's exactly the opposite. When you pretend that everything's okay, when you pretend to be fine, it pushes other people away. Because they don't, you think, how do they know what I'm going through? Everything works out for them. Everything's okay for them. They never struggle with anything. If I go and tell them that I'm massively in debt, they'll just be like, well, that was a bad decision on your part, wasn't it? I really believe that after this conversation, I consciously decided to try and make a change in my life. I tried to be much more honest about my journey. I tried to be much, much, I knew, right, at one point, this is going to happen. There we go. Um, I decided that I was going to be much more honest about my journey. That I got to a point where I understood that this stuff, this business on this washing line, it isn't my dirty washing that I've got to hide from other people. It isn't my, my like, little secret that no one needs to know about. I haven't got to pretend. That actually, if I'm honest with people, and I'm vulnerable with people, and I share my journey, it brings freedom to other people. You know, there might be people in this room that are really struggling in their marriage, or really struggling being single, really struggling with debt, really struggling with getting pregnant. And what they want more than anything else is for somebody else to say, do you know what, I went through that. But we think the more fine we are, the better we're doing. I genuinely don't believe that's the case. Just as I finish, I would like to take you on a journey. Um, I'd like you to imagine that this washing line, as lime green and lovely as it is, stretches around this entire church. If I asked everybody in this room to write down something on a label and stick it to that washing line around this church, what do you think we'd get? What sort of answers, if we were honestly vulnerable, and I just don't mean vulnerable, I mean vulnerable that costs, like painfully vulnerable, what sort of signs do you think we'd have? But the beauty of it is that that is not your journey, that is our journey. Something you've been through is our problem. We are one body, we are the church. And you look at these signs and you think, flipping heck, this is the church's journey. This is Christ's bride. This is who God has put all his trust in and uh, his relationship. He chooses to have a relationship with us. This washing line that spreads around the room of adultery, depression, all just painful stuff laid bare. And at that point, when our washing is out there, when we're honest and we're vulnerable, anybody who walks through that door will feel at home. Because we don't feel, we're not somebody who's going, oh, that's your past, that's bad. But actually you're saying, you know what, that's my past too. 
but I had an encounter. And in that encounter, something changed. Because I know that that's not who I am. That's just somewhere I've been. And I've got a relationship that is so much bigger than that. Um, If I could invite Lee and and the guys back up, that'd be great. I'm going to pray. And I'm just going to... I'm going to pray and I'm going to wait for a second. Um, If I could ask you all to stand, that would be really, really brilliant. Thank you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that you're loving, that you're accepting, that, Father, you know all this stuff about us anyway, that anything we could write on those labels, God, you already know it. It's not a surprise to you, Father, and, you know, you, you would already say that we are loved and accepted and you know the darkest parts of who we are. Father God, I pray that you would show in our hearts what it is that we need to take off, God, what the labels are that we need to release, where we need to have that face-to-face encounter with you, maybe where our relationship with you has gone stale. Father God, I thank you we are one body, and this is our journey, that we don't have to deal with anything as an individual, God, but you have put us together to support and encourage each other. God, you're amazing. And I pray, Father, that this morning you would make a change in our lives. God, that you would break some bonds and set some people free. What I'm going to ask is, um, if you believe that maybe you have got, I'm not going to ask you to share what you believe your label would be, don't worry. But if you believe that maybe you've got a label that you need to let go of, maybe there's something, been something happening in your life that you feel you're living under a little bit, it's getting all in the way between your relationship with God. You don't see yourself primarily as accepted and loved, but actually there's something else there that you would associate with yourself, that other people would look at you and see that before they saw God. And what I'd love you to do, and we're not, I'm not going to ask you to share it, is just put your hands up where you are. Um, and just like it's brave but we're one body this is our journey you don't need to be ashamed we're all as bad as each other to be honest with you so just put your hands right up just put your hand be proud do you know what I'm struggling do you know what I've got stuff that's really hard and I'm not necessarily in a place to share it with you but I just need some support right now I need this label lifting then we're gonna the band's gonna um play a song and what I would ask is if there's people around keep your hand right up if I would be so sad if you got missed to be prayed for that would be so sad I would like people around you just to put their hand on your shoulder and pray if there's someone near you with their hands in the air please don't ask them why their hands up but please do pray for that person there are brothers and sisters and family in need this morning and if our labels were all displayed in this room we would be in as much trouble as each other So as we sing this song, please pray for your family.